following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Let's just start with a couple of thoughts. Uh, have, have any of you ever had to take a really important test or maybe had to give a really important uh, presentation? Um, like everything was on this test, right, or on this presentation. Uh, how much did you prepare for that? Right? Probably a lot, right? And I find that the more important the test or the presentation, the more I prepare in advance. I know for me to graduate from, uh, uh, from seminary, I had to take this test of everything I was supposed to have learned. <laughs> and uh, if I didn't pass this test, I wouldn't graduate. And they kind of assumed that I had learned something. So then I actually had to go back and study and, you know, find out what I hadn't learned, right? Uh, yeah, you prepare. Uh, the, the more is at stake, the more you, you, the more you prepare, right? The more significant or important it is, the more you prepare. And this season, as, as Kimberly shared, we are, we are preparing for Easter. And the question is really, how important is Easter to us? Right? How important is this celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection? Uh, if it's really important, we want to prepare well. And so we take this season, uh, it's called Lent, or you can just call it the season of preparation if you don't like the word Lent. And uh, we want to take this time to prepare to celebrate uh, the resurrection well. And I think the, the more we pre- are prepared for it, the more we invest in, in, in getting our hearts and minds ready, uh, the more meaningful it will be uh, when we, we declare in glory that Jesus has risen from the dead. So, um, in, in order to prepare, we've, uh, Kimberly's done some great work preparing these uh, Lent devotionals that are downstairs. We encourage you to take one in with your family, at br- the breakfast table the, or the dinner table. Read through that little one-page uh, description. In the, uh, this is based on John Piper's book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. It's a great way to prepare our hearts and minds to think about the importance of the cross and why Jesus came to die for us. Um, in the ancient church, uh, oftentimes uh, baptism was connected with Easter. So they would kind of hold off baptisms for the whole year, and everybody would get baptized, all the new, new believers would get baptized on Easter. And Lent was actually a, a season or a period where the, the candidates for baptism would actually fast. Right? So if you want to really prepare, there's an option, fast for the next 40 days. Um, if that seems a bit much, uh, there's other ways, right? Uh, so we also want to prepare. We want to think about this as, uh, on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to do a series uh, just focusing on Christ and on, on, on his work on the cross. Um, I was inspired by this theme from a little book by Andrew Murray called The Power of the Blood of Christ. And so for the next uh, six weeks or so, we're going to be looking at... Uh, what Christ has accomplished for us through the cross, and specifically by his blood. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible actually talks a lot about blood and about the blood of Jesus. Um, and we uh, often think in terms of the blood purchasing or re- getting for us forgiveness, right? When we talk a lot about uh, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And so that's very common, right? We know that one. Um, but did you know that there's a lot of other things that the blood of Jesus has made available to us or has accomplished for us? 
In fact, uh, John uh, Andrew Murray in his book actually lists nine, nine different things that are accomplished through the blood of Christ. So we can't even go through all of them. But we're going to uh, each week uh, focus on one thing that the blood of Christ has accomplished for us. And uh, so this, this Sunday today we're going to look at um, our, our daily bread as the title, but it's really uh, that Jesus' blood is our life. Right? It's by Jesus' blood that we actually live. Not only are we forgiven, but we actually live. So uh, we're going to read from John chapter 6, um, where Jesus talks about his blood. Uh, so let's read uh, John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Um, now this is certainly one of, the, one of uh, Jesus' uh, hardest sayings, right? This, uh, when Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, it is, you could say, hard for us to swallow, <laughs> One way to put it. Um, what does he mean by this, right? This is so shocking, really. And, uh, and it, it, brings to, it brings to mind images of cannibalism. And I'm from the United States. I'm from the state of Colorado. And one of Colorado's most famous uh, residents from way back a long time ago is a guy named Albert, Alfred Packer. You may have heard of Alfred Packer. Alfred Packer lived in... Uh, and was a guide and a mountain man back in the 1800s. And he actually took a guided trip through the mountains, right, where we used to live, San Juan Mountains. And he was taking some guys through the mountains. I'm not sure what the purpose was. Maybe they were looking for gold or maybe they were hunting. But they got lost, and winter set in, and they got trapped in, in deep, deep, deep snow. And so they were stuck there. They couldn't get out. They were trapped. And uh, in spring, when all the snow melted... Uh, Alfred Packer came out alone, right? And all of his friends had disappeared. And uh, eventually, Alfred Packer confessed that he had actually survived by eating his friends as they died one by one, right? Gruesome, horrible story. And, uh, and, and when you think of Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that's kind of what you picture, right? It's like, wow, this sounds gross and horrible, Right? Uh, but, but we need to understand this, uh, this, what Jesus says here in, in, in the bigger picture of what he's talking about in this account. Uh, and we're highlighting just this part because we want to talk about the blood. 
but, but really what he's talking about in this passage connects with what he's been talking about before. Um, and, and Jesus, I think, wanted it to be shocking. I think he liked... Um, the Jews were already kind of troubled, and he liked just, you know, like, you, you got problems with this, just wait till the next thing I'm going to say, right? You think you got problems with, let's go all in, right? And Jesus liked to shock people. Uh, so certainly he, he, it, he does have that effect. But um, in the context of this passage, uh, Jesus is really talking about uh, that he is the bread of life, right? The bread of life. So he starts off in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Right? And uh, if you go way up to the beginning of this chapter, actually, uh, what's going on here is that Jesus, if you remember, fed the 5,000. And he turned, you know, with a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish, he, he multiplied it many times over, and so he fed this huge crowd of 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So maybe ten to 15,000 people, Jesus fed with bread. And... Uh, at the end of the day, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and then in the middle of the night, the disciples are having some problems, and so he walks across the Sea of Galilee, walks on water, gets to the other side, and so the crowds show up the next day uh, after they find out that he's no longer on the mountain, but somehow they find him. And uh, they show up, and they're, they're, they're looking for Jesus. But what are they really looking for? Are they really looking for Jesus, the Son of God, who they want to know? Or are they looking for free lunch? Well, actually, they're looking for free lunch. And um, uh, one, of the, one of the requirements of being a Messiah, right, is that the Messiah, they knew that the Messiah was going to be one like Moses. He was going to be a prophet like Moses. And so they thought, hey, Moses, when he uh, was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, he fed them with manna every day. So here's the deal. If you're, if you're Jesus, if you're the Messiah, if you're the prophet like Moses, where's the free lunch, right? And, and Jesus pulls it off on one day. He feeds this huge crowd. And so they come to him the next day, and they are looking for more food, right? And Jesus is aware of what's going on. He wears, he's aware of what they're thinking. So in John chapter 6, 25, verse 25, he says, um, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, and you want more. My addition there. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then Jesus goes on to say, I am the bread of life. And for many verses, he unpacks this and talks about this in many different ways. And then we get down to the, the passage we're looking at now. Uh, and uh, he adds that, by the way, this bread, this bread is my flesh and blood. Right? My flesh is the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone that eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Right? And, of course, the Jews, they, they just have a problem with this. What? And they begin to have this dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus, well, like, since you brought the topic up, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what it means to eat my flesh, and, by the way, not just that, but you have to drink my blood. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, one of the, one of the commands, in fact, one of the serious commands that they, they forgot a lot of God's laws. They never forgot this one. 
you are not to drink blood. Right? You are not to eat the blood. You're not to drink blood. And here Jesus is saying, by the way, not only do you have to eat my flesh, but you've got to drink my blood. Okay, now as, as, as hard as it is for us to swallow this, um, it is really hard for the Jews to think about this, right? Jesus, uh, we've got to drink his blood. What? And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, unless you eat my flesh and drink this blood, you have no life in you. Now, of course, uh, this connection is unavoidable. If Jesus is the bread of life, then uh, the way he is the bread of life is by, because he went to the cross and died on the cross for us. He gave up his flesh uh, so that the world could live. And it is by his very flesh and blood that he is food, that he is spiritual food for us. It is by the shedding of his blood that he can sustain spiritual, or he says, eternal life. Right? So he says, look, if you don't somehow partake of the work that I'm going to do on the cross, and of course they don't know what that is yet, but looking back, we know, right? We know that Jesus uh, died on the cross. And he points to that when he says he's giving his flesh for the life of the world. He's pointing to the, his death on the cross. Um, and that's what's required for, his sal- for, for salvation. That is what is required for us to obtain eternal life. Uh, so, so why does he use this, this word picture? What does he mean by it? And how do we do this? Right? Uh, the hang-up, I know for me and maybe for a lot of us, is... Okay, yeah, Jesus gave his life on the cross, but how do we eat him? Right? How do we drink his blood? What, is, what did Jesus have in mind when he talks about this? Well, let's look at how Jesus explains it. And even though it's a difficult picture, uh, Jesus makes it very clear what, what he means by it. So first we see that, that Jesus uh, says, look, I am, I am the real food. I am real food. Um, and uh, so let's think about what food is to us and for us. <coughs> Um, I, I love to think about food. Anybody else here share? I love to think about food, especially good food. Um, I have no problem thinking about food. Um, I can eat a huge meal, and I can still be thinking about food, right? Um, and uh, food and drink, both, are things that satisfy our cravings, that quench our thirst and satisfy our hunger. That's what food does for us, and that's why we like thinking about food. And that's why often I eat too much, right? Because I get hungry and I crave to have that hunger satisfied. I'm thirsty and I, I want that thirst to be quenched, right? Uh, and hunger and thirst are reminders that we need this food and drink to survive. So this hunger and thirst, this craving, is actually a pretty cool gift from God, um, you know, here in Thailand, I don't know about you, but I just sweat a lot. It is way too hot here. And if I do anything outside, I just get so hot and dripping sweat. And so on, on many a day, I'll be outside working in the yard or um, whatever I'm doing outside. I'll just be just wringing wet with sweat. Uh, but sometimes I, I really can get so focused on what I'm doing that I, I forget that I need to drink, you know. But then it kind of hits me. Oh, man, I am super thirsty. And I would go in the house and I'll get my water bottle and I will just chug down that water because I'm so thirsty, right? Uh, but one time, well, actually two times in my life, I've had it happen where uh, not only was I thirsty, well, not only was I needing water, but I actually wasn't thirsty. 
And it's a trick of living or being at high altitude. And if you've ever been at really high altitude up in the mountains, sometimes you can uh, not really be thirsty even though your body is in desperate need of water. And one time I was out, I was actually running on a super hot, uh, long run up way high in the mountains, and it was cool, and I was probably sweating, but it, it was evaporating so quick they didn't realize I was sweating. And the altitude kind of plays a trick on you, and I didn't, I didn't experience thirst. So it was a super long run, over 20 miles, and at really high altitude, and I was not drinking water because I wasn't thirsty. And I thought, I'm good, I'm good. Well, I hit about mile 18 or something, and I, got, I was super dehydrated. And um, uh, I, I found out later that if you go down this path too far, you die, right? And I was actually going into hypovolemic shock. I was, I was dying, right, because I did not drink enough water, but I didn't realize it because I wasn't thirsty, right? So this is a gift from God. Like Our hunger and our thirst remind us, hey, stupid, drink or you'll die, right? Eat or you'll die, right? And maybe you didn't go without breakfast this morning and already your body's telling you, you idiot, you didn't eat, we're going to die, right? Better go downstairs and get a donut, quick, right? Right? That's how it works. That's what food and drink do for us, right? And that's because our life cannot be sustained on its own. All right? We're not like a tree that can absorb sun rays and turn it into sugar. That would be super cool because uh, we could get a suntan and, and make sugar at the same time. We can't do that. Right? Uh, so we need to be sustained by a life, by a power and energy that comes from outside of us. And, of course, we know that uh, we don't go to the gas station and guzzle down some gasoline. That is power and that is energy. That's not helpful for us, right? That will actually probably kill you. Um, uh, likewise, uh, electricity is not the energy of our life. It, it may light you up, uh, but it won't, uh, it won't give you the energy you need for life. In fact, it, would, <laughs> it could kill you, right? So, uh, so here's the interesting thing, though. Did you ever think about this? We only eat food that, that, that is living or that was living. Ever think about that? We live by eating things that are living or that we're living, right? Real food, anyway, was at one point alive, right? Now, of course, we add lots of chemicals or artificial flavors and stuff that are not real food, um, which may not be so good. But real food is is stuff that was living, like like we put salt on our our food to give it flavor, but we don't just eat spoonfuls of, of salt, right? It's not real food, right? Um, and we talk about food being fresh, meaning that it hasn't been dead for very long. That's what we mean, right? Like the lettuce in our salad, it still, looks, it still looks alive. Like it looks like it just got picked. It's fresh. It's still got that life in it. But after two or three weeks, it gets wilted and dead looking and brown, and we don't want to eat it. Why? Because the life has gone out of it. Right, so that's what we do. We uh, we eat stuff that has life in it, and in fact, uh, our, my, my vegetarian and vegan friends are, are, are kind of motivated to avoid meat because it was too living, right? Like it was still walking around a few weeks ago, and they're like, "Yeah," but but even they can't get away from the fact that everything was living, right? Our food was living. 
And, and by eating it, it is giving us something of its life. Right? Our life is sustained by its life, its energy, and if you will, life force. Uh, and God kind of, it's kind of cool that God made it that way, right? We can't just eat rocks and dirt. It'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> just go in the backyard and dig up some dirt and eat it, but we can't do that, right? Uh, God designed us and our bodies to need uh, this outside source of energy and life to sustain us. And really, that's a picture of uh, why God has given us this hunger and this spiritual thirst, right? Just like our body needs some outside energy source to sustain us, so uh, our spiritual life needs an outside source of life, of energy, to sustain us. Um, and, and, and this is our, if you will, our spiritual need or our spiritual hunger uh, are you aware of your spiritual thirst? Right? We're aware of our thirst when we need water, but are you aware of your spiritual thirst? I know before I came to Christ, uh, when I was lost, I experienced this thirst as a, as a deep sorrow and emptiness in my life. Uh, I was depressed, and I was super sad and lonely, and my life was empty. And I, I recognized this when I was 13 years old. And I was very depressed. And my life was just sad. And I, I thought, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no meaning, there's no point to my life. right? And that was uh, a spiritual thirst that God had put in me uh, to, to, to call out to Him, to drink of, of Christ. right? The problem is, though, that uh, when we... When we experience, and I don't know what the spiritual thirst is for you, it's different for all of us. We all experience it in different ways, these, lo- these inner longings and inner desires. The problem, though, is that the world offers a lot of uh, cheap or fake food and drink to satisfy our spiritual cravings, right? The world has all kinds of food, but none of it's real food, right? It's like cotton candy. Cotton candy, I, I don't think, can classify as real food. I mean, maybe way back at some point in its early history, it was a sugar beet, but it's been so processed and the life has been so squeezed out of it, there's nothing of that life left, right? Well, that's what the world does. It offers us things uh, to fill the void and emptiness, the hunger in our life, right? Whether it's uh, love, right? The promise of love, the promise of pleasure, the promise of worldly success, the promise of adventure or of living the dream, right? That's, That's what people are offered today, and, and there's a sense that if you can fulfill your dreams, if you can live the dream, if you can uh, experience enough adventure or success, or if you can um, immerse yourself in, in enough hobbies, that these things will fill the emptiness. I, I knew a lady, an acquaintance, who uh, uh, was a runner, and uh, it's, it's interesting how good things in our life can become super unhealthy obsessions. And I really believe this lady was obsessed with running. And uh, she would run ultra-marathons and ultra-ultra-marathons. And, and when she'd get done with one ultra-marathon, all she could think about was the next ultra-marathon. And, and it's like, wow, you know, I believe exercise is good, but, like, is, is there a point when it's too much, right? But I think she's trying to fill these cravings of, of her soul. She's trying to fill her life up with food, uh, that does not satisfy. And that's what Jesus says, you know, your, 
you're sure your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And this was good manna. It was from God. It was a gift from heaven. But you know what? They died. Right? They died. That manna, that food, was not the food you really need. Not the spiritual food that you need. And so, uh, this picture of food, as Jesus is talking about being the bread of life, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, the image that he wants us to think about first is that we do have uh, spiritual need. We need spiritual life. And that life, uh, that, that need, is a hunger or a thirst that's in our soul. And it's put there to help us recognize our need for God and to make us hungry for this bread from heaven. Um, and Jesus goes on to say that, that really he alone is the real food who can satisfy our hunger and thirst. Right? He says, I am, the, I am the bread of life. Sure, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, but they died. This bread, that is my life, I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Uh, now, he doesn't mean die physically. We, we will all die physically unless the Lord comes back and we, we get raptured. But the rest of it will die. But, but that's not the, really, the life that really matters. The life that really matters is our eternal life. Right? Uh, and he says, look, the bread of this world doesn't last, but, but my, my life is real food that will sustain you for eternity so that you may eat of it and not die. Right? And he says in verse 55, he says, For my flesh is real food, true food, and my blood is true drink. Verse 57, he says, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Remember said that in the physical world, our food was living. And Jesus says, Look, I can pass on to you the energy of life, my own life force, my own life source, because... Uh, because the living Father sent me. Now, for all of us, life is derived from some source. right? We need to eat whatever it is we eat that was living to sustain our life. We're dependent on things outside of us to give us life. But God, when it says He is the living God, it means He's the origin and absolute source of life. God is not dependent on anything outside of Himself for life. He is life. It, it, it originates, it, he is the source of it within himself. So God doesn't have to go out and go to 7, 7-Eleven and go grocery shopping, right? Because uh, he needs nothing. Life flows out of him. And, and he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Right? So, uh, of course, God, uh, Jesus was God's eternal Son who shared that life, that uh, that original life force from all eternity. But when Jesus took on human flesh and blood, when he came to earth and became a living person, um, God put that eternal life source in him. Right? Uh, and he says that, that that's the result of that is that so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. Right? So he can say, look, I am the true food. My blood is the true drink. I am the, the life that you need the only life that will uh, support and sustain you. And, and uh, as the incarnate God-man, Jesus has that life power, that life source in himself, not just for life temporarily, but for eternal life. So he alone can satisfy our hunger and thirst. And not only can he satisfy us, but he alone can sustain us. 
His life alone has the power to sustain us. That is to give us the energy and the strength to keep going. How long do you need to keep going? How many of you hope are hoping to make it to the end of today? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. How about, how about do you need to be sustained for like a month? I'm hoping, yes, at least a month. A year? I hope so, right? I'm old, but I'm hoping for at least one more year. Um, a lifetime? That would be good. Yes, I want to be sustained for a lifetime. But then what? Right? What happens when this life on this earth ends? Do you want to be sustained beyond that? I do. Yes, absolutely. We, we have this sense that there is more to us and more to our life than the here and now. That, yeah, we want to make it to the end of our life, but we, we know instinctively that there is something eternal beyond the grave. Right? We, we know that our life is intended to go on and continue. So how long do you need to keep going? Well, I want to keep going for eternity. I want my life to be sustained forever. And that's what Jesus is talking about, to have the energy and the power to sustain life for all eternity, forever and ever, that life for us and, uh, will never end. Yes, this body will die, but life for us will go on with Christ in heaven um, uh, forever and ever. So Jesus is the real food we need, right? He is this food. Uh, and, and not only... So the good news is, not only are, are, are we given spiritual sustenance for our spiritual life so that our spirit and soul will continue on into all eternity? But it gets even better. Jesus says in verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. We talked about that. That's good news. But he goes on, he says, And I will raise him up on the last day. Right. So this food is so good that it will regenerate and restore our dead and decaying bodies when Jesus returns, and we will be raised up with him. So we're not talking about just living forever in eternity in some kind of vague, nebulous, spiritual thing. No, we're talking about we will get our bodies back, only much better ones, much better looking, much younger looking, much stronger, bodies that don't break and wear out, right? Eternal bodies, right? So that we will be a whole person, body, soul, and spirit, so, uh, so the question now. So that's that's, that's how Jesus is our is our is our our bread, right? He sustains life, and he sustains it eternally. And he sustains life, he sustains it eternally. Uh, but the, come back to the big question, though. Jesus says, in order for this to work, we have to eat him. Okay, and this is the part that's hard, right? What in the world does this mean? How do we eat Jesus, right? Uh, the early church uh, also struggled with this. And uh, they maybe took it a little bit too literally. And so they kind of read through the Bible and thought about this a lot. And the early church fathers came up with a brilliant plan. Brilliant, but actually wrong. Right? And their plan was this. Hey, you know, Jesus gave us the, the Lord's Supper. right? And in the Lord's Supper, we have the bread, which is his flesh, and the blood, which is his, I mean, the, the juice, which is his blood. So we figured it out. What Jesus really meant is we eat him when we eat the Lord's Supper. And uh, they had this crazy idea that when you put the bread in your mouth 
at that moment it turns into Jesus' actual flesh, right? And that you actually are eating Jesus' flesh. And that when you put the juice in your mouth, the juice actually turns into his blood, and you are actually drinking his literal blood. And they said, that checks the box, right? That does it. Like, in the Lord's Supper, we are, we are eating Jesus' body, and, body and, and blood, drinking his blood. But I would say that that greatly misses the point, right? Greatly misses the point um, for, 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 for many, many reasons. Uh, but the main reason being that Jesus said, this is not about literal bread, right? He said, this is a word picture, okay? This is a word picture. It's an analogy, okay? I'm not really talking about actually eating my actual muscle or drinking my actual blood, right? Um, it is a word picture. But admittedly, it is a word picture that's a bit confusing. And the reason it's confusing is that most analogies are just all analogy. In other words, it's all just a picture None of it's literal. But the problem is that when Jesus talks about uh, his flesh and blood, uh, part of it is a word picture, but part of it actually is literal. All right? And the literal part is that Jesus in his flesh did actually die on the cross. Like he really did shed his blood. Okay, that's not just a word picture. Jesus didn't just mean, well, you know, I'll die and, 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 and uh, eventually, because everybody dies, and... And so, in a very metaphorical sense, uh, you could think of me pouring out my blood. No, uh, Jesus did actually literally, physically pour out his blood. Uh, and the images of Jesus on the cross with the thorns piercing his skull, right? And blood flowing down, and they beat him, and they whipped him, and they scourged him till the blood flowed out of his body. And they nailed him on a cross. Uh, and those nails... Uh, pierced his skin and his flesh and his bones. And he bled, right? He bled. His blood was literally poured out. And his flesh was literally given up for us. Like his body literally suffered on the cross and bore the wounds and the uh, abuse uh, of the cross, right? That part is literal. Uh, but, but the picture that Jesus is the bread of life is a word picture. Jesus did not mean I am literally a loaf of bread, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the gingerbread man who escaped, right? No, it's a word picture, right? Um, so how do you put these two things together? Um, well, Jesus really gives us the key to understanding this way back at the beginning of this account in verse 35. And we didn't read the whole passage, it's long, and there's just so much in here, but... Uh, but back up at the beginning when he first uh, introduces this picture of being the bread of life, uh, Jesus says this. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Okay, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? So right there is the key. He says, if you don't want to hunger and if you don't want to thirst, what do you need to do? Well, you need to come to me and believe. And that's really what it means to uh, eat Jesus, right? It, it means to believe in him, right? We don't eat him with our physical mouth. We eat him with the, uh, the hunger of our soul by believing in Christ, right? Through faith. Faith is, uh, if you will, the mouth that we appropriate. We take in uh, his, the, the effects 
of what he did on the cross. Right? So it's, it's a matter of believing, uh, not taking the Lord's Supper, right? not eating communion in the proper way so that we can actually eat Jesus' body. No, right? It means to take in uh, what he's accomplished for us through faith, through belief. And there's a couple important things we need to believe. First of all, we, first of all, we need to believe that he is the bread from heaven, right? that he is the bread of life. Uh, uh, verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus' death on the cross, his flesh and blood have effect and power for us because he was God's son and because he was the son of man. Right? He was 100% fully human. He was 100% fully God. I love you all. And, um, and, and I would do anything for, for most of you, <laughs> right? Uh, some of you I'm not sure. No, no I, I, would, I, I would hope I would, I would go to great lengths to, to show love for you. But you know what? If it came to dying for you, I might be willing to do that, but it would mostly be a waste of effort, right? If, it, if, if your eternal soul depended on it. Why? Because I'm not the life force, right? I am not the Son of God. Jesus alone was the one who came down from heaven. He alone had life in himself that could be passed on to us. Right? So we've got to believe that he came down from heaven, that he was God's son who took on human flesh. Okay, that's critical. If you don't believe that, if, you, if either you believe that Jesus, yeah, maybe he came down from heaven, but he never became a full, full-on human being. He was just kind of a ghost or a spirit, right? Well, then he, he can't be the one who, who is your, your life. You cannot partake of his flesh. Uh, or you believe that, well, yeah, he was a man, he was a good person, he was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. Well, then his life can't be a substitute for you. We must believe that he's both. second thing we have to believe is that he shed his blood for us. In other words, that his life was... A acceptable sacrifice, a substitute in our place, right? Um, Jesus did have to die. He did have to go to the cross, and that cross was required. It was essential. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, I encourage you to read the book. There's 50 reasons apparently why Jesus had to die. There's actually more, right? Uh, but John Piper wrote 50 of them. Um, the problem is that we tend to get stuck on one. We tend to, and we, we talk about this all the time, we get, get focused on the fact that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. We say that over and over, and it's true. Jesus did die to forgive us of our sins, but he died for a lot of other things too. And one of the things that he died for was to give us life. He died so that we may live. Uh, yes, forgiveness of sins is part of that, but... Uh, the life he gives us so much more than that. We aren't just forgiven. We are alive in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. We have been born again in Christ to new life in him. Uh, Jesus says, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's pointing to the cross there. Uh, and, and of course, they didn't get that. But looking back, we know that he gave his life uh, he gave his flesh so that the world might live. So that through, through faith in him, we might 
receive his whole life into ourselves and have life for eternity. Um, for those who believe, right? Well, the third thing that we need to understand here is that um, we need to believe with all of our heart that he is our daily bread. Our daily bread. Um, let me ask you a question. How often do you need to eat and drink? Once in a lifetime? No. Well, you could eat once in a lifetime. It just would be a really short life. Right? Your life wouldn't last very long. Right? Once in a year? No. Once in a while? Yeah, once in a while if you mean like every few hours. Right? That's what I mean by once in a while. Right? I need to eat. I don't know about you, but I need to eat all the time. Every day. And preferably all day long. Like the more the merrier. I need to drink uh, often. Right? And one of the reasons I think we need, to, we need to dig much deeper into the powerful effects of the blood of Jesus is this very point. Too often we have the idea that Jesus shed his blood to save us, which he did. But we, we have this kind of shallow, uh, superficial understanding of what it meant for him to save us. And we, we get this idea that getting saved is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Right? So it's something we just experience once, and then we're good to go. And then we don't know what to do with the blood of Jesus, because we're like, well, I got saved. It happened to me once, and so I don't need Jesus' blood anymore. But that's a, that's a, a, a huge misunderstanding of the cross and what Jesus did for us. Right? Yes, it is true that new birth happens once. Just like our physical birth happened once. You know, I was only born once. It's a good thing. Once was enough. Uh, I'm sure my mom would say. So we want to go through that process again. Uh, and likewise, we were, we were spiritually born again once. We only needed that to happen to us once. But uh, after we were born, how often did we need to eat for life to continue on? Well, I know from watching newborns, they have to eat like every couple hours. Like, all through the night even. Like, they can't stop even to sleep. They keep waking you up, right? They need that constant feeding, right? How often do we need spiritual food after we've been born again? All, all the time, right? We need daily feeding, right? We pray this prayer, Lord, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. We say, give us this day our daily bread, and certainly that can mean our physical food that God will provide and sustain us physically with the material things we need to, to, to sustain life. But it's more than that, right? It is, Lord, we need spiritual food day by day by day. We need daily to drink in uh, the work of Christ, to drink in the effects of his blood, and to eat the effects of his sacrifice for us. Uh, he really is our daily bread. And it means turning daily to Jesus and uh, being nourished by him. Being nourished by what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Right? We need that every day, just like we need physical food every day, even though we were born once. Right? We need constant feeding. And the same thing is true of us spiritually. Uh, so let me just wrap up with a couple thoughts about how we can... Make this work. Like, what does it really mean then, practically, to be uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it means 
Uh, well, it means, ultimately, grasping all that Jesus is for us. Um, this faith, so, so we said, remember, eating, eating is ultimately believing. It is our active belief in what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for us that is how we absorb, if you will, how we take in the effects of the cross, the effects of his blood, the effects of his life given for us. And this faith is deeply connected with understanding. Okay, it's connected with understanding. So faith is not something we just conjure up magically. Faith uh, comes from hearing. Faith comes from understanding clearly what Scripture teaches about Jesus. Uh, look at verse 52. It says, The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? The Jews did not believe. And the reason they, they did not believe is really because they could not believe. Well, why couldn't they could why couldn't they believe? Well, they could not believe because they really didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus addresses this to them directly. In verse uh, 41 of chapter 6, it says, So the Jews were grumbling another time about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Okay, they were tripped up by that one, how much more by the whole, you know, his flesh. Uh, and they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And, and then notice what, how Jesus answers them. See, they didn't understand. And so they could not believe. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. He says that, look, it, you, you can't grasp this on yourself. And literally that word for draws, is the Father draws, draws him. Unless the Father draws him, they, you, you can't figure this out. And the word for draw literally means to compel or like a picture of drawing up water from a well. Right? Can water in the bottom of a well just jump up out of the well on its own? No, it can't. Right? It, needs, it needs to be drawn up by somebody from above who scoops it up and draws it up. Likewise, we cannot understand all of this without the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so the first thing we need to do is pray and ask God to give us greater understanding of all this through his Spirit. Right? Uh, my brain doesn't have the power to grasp all this. I need the Holy Spirit to teach me, to give me understanding. So the first thing we need to do is pray, uh, Lord, by your Spirit, please teach me the deep truths of your blood. Like, I don't want to be content for just shallow and superficial uh, understandings of what Jesus did on the cross. Help me to uh, understand deeply because you teach me, because you give me understanding. A second thing we need to do is we need to, as he gives us understanding, we need to comprehend all that Jesus' sacrifice means for us. Right? Um, do not be content to hold a shallow and superficial idea of the cross. Um, the cross and the truth of what Jesus accomplished is a deep, deep well. Or if you will, it is like a deep gold mine, treasure mine. And, and you can never dig to the depths of it. You can always go deeper. There is always more you can know about it. There is always more uh, you can sink into understanding grasp. Uh, and, and we need to, right? We need to dig deeply into the truths of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Lastly, um, 
It's not enough just to dig deep into those things, but we need those things to dig deeply into us. And we do that by saturating our thinking with these truths. This this should be something we make a great intention of thinking about, of studying and learning and meditating on. I I think it should be a daily practice to pray these truths into our lives as we grow deeper into them. Right, as we explore the depths of what Jesus has provided for us uh, through his blood. It is life. It is food and drink. I don't know about you, but when I eat, um, I like to savor it, right? I like it to continue on. I don't want to just wolf it all down. I don't want a feeding tube. That would be just the worst thing ever. Because then I can't taste it, right? I want to experience my chocolate triple dip ice cream, right? To the fullest, right? Uh, God has given us hunger and thirst so that we would experience him. We would savor him. We would uh, relish him. We would enjoy him. Uh, Do that, right? Saturate your thinking with these truths. One last word about the Lord's Supper, uh, which we'll celebrate next Sunday. Uh, well, the Lord's Supper is not literally eating and drinking Jesus' body and blood. It is a way to act this out, right? It isn't acting out this picture, but it's, it's acting out a spiritual reality that we need to be doing every day inwardly, right? Um, it is a picture of eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. Uh, not that we do it literally, though, at the Lord's Supper, but it is a reminder that he is our life. And, and we need to be taking his life into our souls, our spirit, into our lives every single day. Through faith, through reflection, through remembering, through thanksgiving, uh, through enjoying uh, Christ. Um, the great picture of this that he talks about here, he says, um, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Right? Abiding relationship with Christ. Oneness with him in relationship with him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.